When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That sound you hear in the background is the hoist control of the Quincy Mine, just outside Hancock, Michigan, where we're headed to today. Quincy is sort of the Madison Square Garden of the northern Michigan ghost mining world. During its lifetime, the Quincy was the second most profitable mine in Keweenaw County, whereas the Adventure Mine, which was huge, was seven levels deep. The Quincy Mine is 92 levels deep. That's two full miles into the underground. The Adventure Mine offers a wider range of experiences, like rappelling and an extended five to six hour walking tour. Quincy has more going on above ground and also happens to be a small holding of the National Park Service as part of the Keweenaw National Historic Park. As David Brent might say, they are both excellent parks in their own way. On the way to the mine, I stopped for breakfast in Hancock, where I slept again the night before at my new favorite campground, where they let me watch my favorite shows and also rake my campsite like husky bearded geishas in preparation for my arrival. The only signage for the only open cafe in Hancock was a spray-painted particle board on a street corner in town, the kind you use to advertise garage sales. I followed the arrow down the hill to a Finlandia University building, in which, after long rows of unmarked offices, I found the equally unmarked Kangas Cafe. I think if you wanted to disguise the location of your business in every conceivable way, leaving only breadcrumbs to tempt the public with the myth of your existence, you would market yourself like the Kangas Cafe. It all felt very, very Upper Peninsula. And this place was not a pop-up. It's been here 20 years. I ordered drip coffee and some prune tarts. The recipe for which Miss Kangas got from her grandmother, who got them from her grandmother, stretching all the way back to Finland. She sells a ton of them, she says. There's no added sugar, and they're plenty sweet. I grabbed a few more to go to ensure myself the wherewithal, to concentrate a few more outhouses on my way back south. I enjoyed my time at the Quincy so much that I invited my tour guide to join us for a few minutes to discuss this particular mine and also the Keweenaw mining industry as a whole. His name is Dylan, and he's full of nuggets like this. During the Civil War, the Quincy mine alone supplied the Union with 90% of the copper they used during the war. I had a great time on the tour, obviously, as I've invited him here, but the most memorable part of my tour with Dylan was actually not part of my tour with Dylan, at least not officially. He happened to mention a nearby lake, Torch Lake, that had been exposed to extremely heavy metal pollution through mining. When one of the men in our group said, Wait, which lake? 
This guy had been fishing in Torch Lake that morning with his wife. Now, for more context, this lake is so polluted by mercury and arsenic that it won't be healthy. In the very best case scenario, for another 800 years, you threw them back in, though, Dylan said. No, we cleaned them. We have a cooler full for dinner. They were big, weren't they? said the guide. They were. Yeah, you need to throw those out. That eight pound fish is six pounds meat and two pounds of tumor. This guy was so stunned, you could have pushed him over like a cardboard cutout. His mouth was just hanging open as he looked back and forth between our guide and his wife, his eyes bulging with disbelief. It turns out they paid a local fisherman $700 for a charter trip, and this person had taken him there because he knew the fish would be huge. And the fish are huge. Because no locals keep fish from Torch Lake. I brought this up to Dylan a few weeks later, and he hadn't forgotten it either. To go fishing on Torch Lake, the lake that's full of mercury, arsenic, lead, fire retardants, I'm surprised that they took them out there. Yeah, I remember begging them not to eat the fish. The,、uh, the EPA made Torch Lake one of their first Superfund sites. And、uh, they were dredging up and removing rock. And there's some areas still, they have signs up. And it says, don't use this water for anything because of the concentration of those heavy metals. And you know, when they switched out all their electrical transformers in the mills, they just took the old ones to the shore, kicked them over, and let them drain. So then you get all that gunk running right into the water. And、uh, they were they're doing tumor studies on the fish in Torch Lake. Sometimes, every once in a while, you'll see a decent sized fish just wash up somewhere because it died of old age because no one's keeping the fish they catch in there. I think the lesson is clear. If you're the kind of fisherman who's only in it for the photo ops, your next vacation needs to be at Torch Lake. There were parts of the tour that were really engaging. He showed us how 19th miners. Used hand steels to hammer their way into the rock in order to knock it loose and place explosives in the walls. For this demonstration, he turned off all electric lights, lit two candles mounted on the wall, and hammered for a moment in the candlelight darkness to give a really vivid impression of the look and feel of an early miner's life underground. As he described the transition from this almost quaint image of pre modern industry to the noisy steam drills that appeared in the early 20th century, he actually turned on one of those old drills to give us the sense of how loud they were. And this was with the volume turned way down. Without the drill even touching the rock, it was deafening. So I asked about protective equipment, like helmets and earplugs. Their hearing protection 
it's going to be, you know, wax or balls of cotton that they stuff in their ears. It does help a bit, but not very much. In terms of head protection, at first, the hard hats that they're wearing, if you can call them hard hats, they're made out of felt. And then they eventually would bring in hard leather hats, which do provide more protection. But at first, hard hats were basically just a way for the workers to clip their headlights or pack their headlights onto their heads so they could see. It wasn't really for protection. Eventually, they started to use some of the, the plastic-type hard hats that we have nowadays later on in operations. A lot of those old miners went deaf. In one of the drifts, there was a tram full of rocks sitting on a small section of rail, as it would have been in the old days. We were invited to push and turn this large metal cart to get a feel for the strength and endurance this job would have required. Because I'm always on the lookout for new forms of humiliation, I offer to try it. The video of this debacle will never be seen by anyone, but the audio will tell you everything you need to know. Go ahead. Okay. I mean, this just... Oh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I tilted. I don't think I moved. Move a little bit. Just don't take it out the track. See tomorrow. Break it up. Seriously. And then turning it. Okay. <laughs> Don't jump it out the way. No, I don't think I could, but yeah. Sure. You can pick it up a bit if you want to try it. Oh, my word. Oh, that's outrageous. So, 20 of these a day? A dozen of them. A dozen of these a day. How, how, uh, how far would you have to uh, push it? 150 to 200 feet to the shaft, not average. And then they'd have to load all the rocks as well. Yeah, hopefully there's a chute overhead that you can use. Just pull a lever or a chain on the rock that's going to automatically. This is the actual audio, by the way. When I stepped up to the tram, the woman beside me wanted to film it. Trammers had to push this thing after filling it by hand. 150 feet before dumping and starting over again. They were expected to do this 12 times a day. I could barely turn it one time. I asked, with all the wealth that these mines produced, did any of the miners themselves become wealthy? No one who ever swung a hammer underground ever got rich because of it. You know, their workers are going to be living. In terms of becoming rich, that's all for the management and the investors. So a lot of the investors, some of the bigger companies, most of them had... Uh, Boston roots. A Quincy Mine had their corporate headquarters in New York and most of their investors from Boston. Basically, that's where all the money went. The dividends and the profits. Profits went right back to the company or kicked out to the investors. They're the people that are going to be making all the money. You know, the mine agents, superintendents, presidents, board of directors, some of the captains, but uh not the men themselves or even the communities around them. Due to people coming to work the mines from so many different countries around the world, these tiny remote towns were often more ethnically diverse than America's largest cities. The first major groups of workers that came in, you had the Cornishmen from Cornwall, England, you know, the, the best miners in the world. Hard rock mines of Cornwall, England predate the Romans. These are skilled, generational workers who know what they're doing. Then you also get, at first, 
you have a decent population of other Englishmen. You, know, you get some Scots, some people from Wales. From you also see some Irish come in as well, and then you also get the French Canadians, which is a bit surprising. I've seen French Canadians come into the states and start to work, and then as time goes on, you get other groups. You get Italians, Finnish, Norwegian, Swedish, Russian. Uh, I already said Italian, didn't I? <laughs> you know, people from all over, really, all over Europe. They just got across the sea, landed at a port over on the East Coast, and were looking for a job. <laughs> Someone told them, Let's "Go up to the Keweenaw. There's jobs there. They'll settle at Quincy Hill." Was a phrase that would be repeated over in Europe. I also wanted to know about the domestic life of mining families above ground and the responsibilities of women in mining households. So the, the working man or men, if you have children that are old enough in the family, they're going to be gone for half the day and probably sleeping for the other half. So the women were basically in charge of everything in terms of housework, laundry, dishes, cooking, cleaning, uh, taking care of the children, tending the garden making sure that there's food on the table, going into town to get supplies and food. And the contribution that the women and the families of the workers made is no less amazing than the workers themselves. Above ground, I pulled the bell once used to communicate with the hoist operator from hundreds of thousands of feet underground. It was used to send signals and had a language all its own. One bell meant hoist, for example. Or if the hoist was already moving, one meant stop. You might think of it as a kind of play-pause button for men in the skip. Two bells meant lower. Five meant do not move skip. The only number higher than five was nine, which meant ambulance. As there were no other signals between five and nine, once the bell hit six, you knew something was wrong, and it rang three more times to drill the point home. This sad one-note song played far too often in the Quincy mine. In all, the company recorded 253 deaths at the Quincy mine, and the actual number is significantly higher. Unless your lifeless body was pulled from the worksite, your death did not count. If you were mangled underground, or lost an arm and died a week or even a day later, the company accepted zero liability. At the end of the tour, there's a folky educational song that plays in the hoist house, and apparently Dylan has heard it so many times that it haunts him in his dreams. I'm going to use it to play us out. I hope it haunts you too. If you want to hear more from Dylan, we have a Black Label episode out of him explaining more of the general history of mining in the Keweenaw. I don't know anything about rocks or mining either, and I really enjoyed it. I encourage you to check it out.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.